Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. Today we're going to be answering one of your questions. Uh, and to do so, as usual, I've got Father Brian Barr with me. How are you, Father? I'm great, Lorenz. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, it, it's been a few weeks since we've uh, had one of our discussion podcasts, so I'm, uh, I'm glad we're back at it. Yeah, me too. Me too. So uh, this, this past weekend, uh, I know that you were out of town. Uh, you threw in the closer. You threw Father Greg uh, into the mix. Uh, so I was talking to him a little bit. He said he thinks that you did it on purpose uh, because this homily was tricky uh, because he had to speak about the uh, the Trinity, and that's always uh, that's not necessarily the easiest homily to go about. So uh, for the record, and this is again for the record, did you do that to him on purpose? <laughs> Absolutely, I ban I told him abandon ship. <laughs> When I was in the seminary, we had to we had to read a book. Uh, we had to take a whole, <laughs> had to take a, a whole course on the Trinity, and it was kind of impossible. And um, it was just a real tough course, and it's obviously a real tough topic. And we, the textbook we had to read was uh, equally difficult to just sort of grasp. The whole book was on the Trinity, and uh, the name of the book was, uh, I think the name of the book was uh, Trinity: The Reason for Our Hope. And we, re- we renamed it Trinity, the reason to smoke dope. That's how, uh, <laughs> well, that's uh, how kind of difficult it was. So I just figured, uh, yeah, I just kind of, I, I jumped ship. I, I gave it to uh, Greg the weekend. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, again, we did joke about it, but he, he did a great job. Um, and for you listeners, I know you're used to us uploading uh, Father Brian's homily onto the podcast, but just a heads up, we are going to upload Father Greg's homily, so you can definitely take a listen to that. And in the homily, actually, Father, he does reference the uh, the course that uh, each of you had to take on the Trinity. Uh, did he really? Yeah, he did. <laughs> it's um, tough. It's tough stuff. So like I said, uh, it's, it's been a few weeks. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've had a discussion, since we've answered one of your questions, uh, but we are back at it, and we definitely have a doozy. So, um, Father, if it's all right with you, let's jump into the question. Yeah, let's go for it. Great. The uh, listener asks, my son and daughter-in-law just had their first child. Uh, They were both raised Catholic but no longer come to church, and it doesn't seem like they have any intention to soon. I want my grandson to be baptized, but I've heard of scenarios of priests not baptizing the child because the parents aren't practicing Catholics. I guess I see both sides as to why or why they wouldn't. But I guess I was looking for more clarification. Thanks. That's a good question to jump back into, Father. So I'm, I'm going to let you have it uh, right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'd say this. First of all, um, what that uh, grandmother or grandfather is talking about um, or, or an aspect of that, I, I think I hear probably a version of that question or that concern probably every week, probably in, in some aspect every every week in the parish um just the whole uh so it was, seems to be like sort of a growing reality of um parents parents of young kids just being not even remotely church connected uh to the to the point that what this grandmother or grandfather is talking about is just that they're not even parents aren't even talking about a baptism uh, like it's just, it's just not a part of their lives, uh, church faith. Um, and you know, it's just, they're puzzled by it. They're troubled by it. Um, they're, they're looking at the way they raise their kids and 
in most cases, like in a, with a real consistent experience of church and sacrament, it's like, what the heck, what happened? Like where, how did they lose it? Um, so anyway, I mean, that's a, that's a huge question right there. I mean, we could, we could go on for weeks of, of, of conversation about it. Um, I think specifically with this one about, you know, grandparents, we want to have our grandkid baptized. The kids are just seemingly not interested. What, what do we do? What are we allowed to do? Uh, you know, I'd say this, I'd say generally when, if, if you've got a scenario where the parents are pretty explicitly saying, well, first of all, if they don't want, if parents are saying they don't want their child baptized, it's kind of end of conversation. Like you can't override that. So like, uh, grandma and grandpa, even with the best of intentions, you know, they don't have a right to say, well, my kid is out to lunch here with this, so I'm bringing the baby down to the church to have him baptized. Like that's, you can't do that. Um, now, uh, in fact, like there's the in the ritual, you know, in, in the rite of baptism, pretty much the first part of it, the first thing that's asked, it's two questions. Uh, the priest or the deacon asks the parents first of all, you uh, do you understand what you're undertaking, you know, and you're. Um, uh, your obligation to, to raise your, your this, this baby or this child in the faith. Uh, do you clearly understand what you're, you're undertaking? And the parents say have to say yes. And then you, you go to the godparents and you say, are you ready to help the parents in this task? And they too have to make a promise of yes. So, you know, if you've got mom and dad who are like, no, like we're, we're not going to church. We're not really going to go then I think then you're really kind of talking about a lie. You know what I mean? If you we're going to then sit there and say, ask them to promise things, they're just they're simply not going to do. I think where it gets a little, there's more of a gray area potentially would be, you know, say the parents, say they don't really care. You know, they're not, they're not opposed to it. They're not hostile to the idea. They're just, they just don't care. Um, and, you know, they're okay with grandparents taking a, a, a serious, proactive role in that a aspect of their, their grandchild's life. You know, if, if, if that question that I asked of the parents, if the grandparents were able to answer it honestly and say, yeah, we will be able to be an influence and a voice and a presence, spiritual, uh, in the life of this kid, and you don't have complete opposition on the part of mom and dad, the parents, you know, then I think you look at that and you say, okay, well, let's, let's, let's pursue this further and let's, let's try and get this, this kid baptized. So if there's a, you know, if there's not a, a roadblock thing going on with the parents and there's a legitimate practical possibility that grandparents are going to have a role, then I think, um, you know, then I think there are possibilities. I think, though, you know, Lorenz is, is just a bigger, bigger thing going on here, which I think we got to talk about, and and really part of the answer, I guess. And it would be, how do we get mom and dad to care? How do you get? Let's use this this questioner, like this grandparent, whose adult kid seemingly just doesn't care, doesn't value this anymore. How do we, how can we get for the moment? Let's let's forget about the baby for the moment, and let's just talk about mom and dad. How how can we get them 
to rethink faith in their relationship with the church and and most importantly with Christ. Absolutely. So it's funny because I believe that that was that's one of our first discussion episodes is is this exact scenario, right? Of, of parents or grandparents saying, "Hey, my kids aren't going to church because of that. My grandparents aren't going to church." And and we yep. definitely touch on that, but I mean, it's definitely worth talking about again. Yeah. Um, you know, and and how you talk about it um kind of just speaking from the heart, uh speaking Almost like, you know, if you were kind of giving like a witness talk, like if you had to stand up in front of people and, and tell people why faith matters to you, uh, why the church has been a, you know, a critical uh, force in your life, what the, what the sacraments mean to you, and to try to communicate that, you know, not just sort of this, it's the, it's the law, it's the rule, it's almost like a fear-driven thing, like to kind of get away from that, you know, I had a had a kind of interesting conversation with a priest buddy of mine uh, not too long ago, and he was telling me that he was he was talking to one of the funeral directors in his parish, and who he's friendly with, and he said that uh, the funeral director was commenting on a group of funeral director friends of his, co-workers, and how they've been struggling the last year or so with the number of young deaths uh, in their communities, uh, primarily overdose, drug overdose deaths and, and suicide deaths. And, you know, these are, these are funeral directors who, who, you know, they're around death and tragedy and sadness, like sort of all the time. It's, it, it does become routine for a lot of these guys. It's, it's the business, you know? So, I mean, I've seen some funeral directors over the years be a little, like a little surprisingly casual uh, in, in the midst of, of tragedy and, and death. And these guys are now saying like, as much as we see it and as much as it's been around, like this, this is getting to them. And because, you know, in a year, maybe you get one or two young people that die and that kind of, everybody stops and everybody gets reflective and is upset. But what's going on now is we're almost getting a sort of like quasi epidemic thing going on with young, young guys and girls just dying. And it is affecting, it's affecting these funeral directors. But then I thought what was real interesting about what the guy then said was, what he's seeing more and more is they're having a wake service and uh, there's no prayer, there's no priest, certainly no funeral mass. So it's this faithless experience, uh, this faithless memorial service. And um, there's just sort of a, an irony in it. It's like for a lot of these poor people, it's like hopelessness and despair is what led these people to these, you know, awful deaths. Um, presumably in a lot of their cases, like they just, there was no hope and they felt, you know, ultimately alone. Um, and then you see it kind of played out in their memorial service. Nobody's praying, nobody's looking, nobody's speaking hope, nobody's communicating hope. Um, and I think, like that's something in that conversation with, you know, grandparents to, to adult kids, like, you're going to be raising your son or your daughter, my grandson or my great granddaughter. If you don't, if you don't bring them up with the knowledge of God and an experience of faithful people, 
if they don't know what a community of faith is, what a church, a, a vibrant church is, they are going to be lacking some level, some degree of hope in their lives. And that's a big deal. Like, to, to say that, you know, if you said, you know, I, I raised my kids and I never taught them manners. You know, I never taught my kid to read. I never taught my kid uh, basic hygiene. You'd, you'd look at this, that adult, and you'd be like, what the heck? Like, what, what, were, you, what were you thinking? Like, you're, you're setting him or up for a, for a fall here. They're not, they don't know how to read. Like, that's preposterous, but like, they would be so ill-equipped for life. Um, socially, if you, if you don't teach them basic social skills, they're going to be in trouble. Well, now, one piece, one more piece here is faith. And the hope that is born out of faith. And if I'm raising a kid and I've never told him about God, never has an experience of, of communities of faith, when it hits the fan, when life is difficult, they will not be able to find support in the realm of faith. They will be potentially hopeless. And I think to, to speak to that, you know, get away from, for the moment, don't even be talking about sin and heaven and hell and you know I, there's a place for all of that and a time for all of that but I think sometimes those topics derail the conversation that needs to be had um, and it's just like wait a minute she won't be ready she'll be she'll be a kid in high school he'll be a, a kid in college and something terrible is going to happen and they will not know where to go and you have an obligation, you know, back to that question with the, with the, with the, the, the baptismal rite, like, you are mom, dad, you are making a promise here to teach this kid the way to Christ, the way to faith. So let me, let me ask you this then, it's, having, having this discussion is essentially saying, hey, give your kid a chance, like, like give them a chance to be involved in their faith, it, it feels like, well, that's why I'm having them baptized. Or mm. or even down the road in eighth grade, that's why that's why we're moving forward with confirmation. But what you're saying is checking that box, oh, I got my baby baptized or my eighth grader confirmed, that's not giving them a chance. <laughs> that's checking a box and that means nothing. But getting them actively involved in the church and showing that you're actively involved in the church. Now, that's a real way of giving them a fighting chance in, in being a part of their faith. Am I right? Totally, totally, totally. Hey, it is, they are just, so many are, are you said, they are simply checking the box. This is what you do when you're 12 or 13. You have this, you have this ceremony and you're done. Um, and, I, and, you know, and hey, it's the sacrament. It is, it is, it is a key moment. I'm not, I'm not making little of those moments. I'm saying between, uh, baptism and first communion, and then from first communion to confirmation, if those kids never see the faith of their parents in action, then those moments are close to a waste of time. Well, I mean, what one thing like I'm involved in 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 the youth group over here, the eighth graders. So, um, one thing that we always say that you always say is. Confirmation is not graduation. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that that must have been said to the eighth graders 
and even back when they were in seventh grade. Confirmation right. is not graduation, and that needs to be instilled with with the youth groups and and confirmation preparation. Listen, let me. I'm gonna uh, give me a minute here to read read this thing to you. Um, There's a letter I got. Um, I went looking for this when you, you told me what we, maybe we we're gonna talk about. This is a letter I got a bunch of years ago. I used to work in a high school. I think I may have mentioned that I was a chaplain. And while I was there, we had a we had a, a very rough uh, about year long period. It was nine eleven happened. We also had uh, two student suicides. Um, two more years pass, and I get uh, a letter, maybe three years, a letter from a graduate who was a classmate of these guys who, who committed suicide while they were in high school. Is that making sense? Um, so this kid is now a sophomore in college, and he writes me this letter. Uh, listen to this. Dear Father Brian, uh, I graduated uh, two years ago from high school and recently saw you at Ryan's funeral. What ended up happening was there was a third suicide. This was now uh, this kid, another classmate who's there, who was in college. So this kid has come to the funeral, which I was at. I wanted to go over and say hello after the mass, but honestly, I was way too upset. Ryan and I were good friends during high school, and we stayed in touch since graduating and going on to different colleges. I'm at a loss as to how this could have happened. The last few weeks have been a total blur. Everyone I know is confused and depressed. I know it's a cliche, but my sincere hope is that time will heal the pain that, that so many of us are feeling uh, since his death. I've been thinking a lot about St. Anthony's, which was the high school I worked in, uh, since I found out about Ryan. The night he died, I started getting calls from classmates, and I remember wanting so much to be back at St. Anthony's. My friends here at school were great and supportive, but there was only so much that they could say or do. I remember desperately wanting to get to a church and just be around people of faith that night. That was a given at St. Anthony's, and I never missed it as much as the night of Ryan's death. I'll always remember the mass at school the day after Matt died. That was one of the suicides uh, during when they were in, in high school. And then the mass the morning after September 11th. Kids were out the door. They were sitting on the floor because there was no room in the auditorium. That was the only place to be. There was nowhere else to go in those horrible moments. Just being around people of faith was enormously comforting. There's no chapel here on campus, and to be honest with you, I haven't made the effort to find out where mass is offered since getting here. I'm not proud of that, and it took Ryan's death to remind me of what I got away from and what I was missing. Maybe that's one good thing that can come from something so wrong. I've realized that without, without faith in church, we really are lost. My friends at school, most of whom aren't very faithful, had little to say that night. Their presence was appreciated, but not being able to find hope and meaning in faith really made me feel lost. I'm grateful for what St. Anthony's gave me, and I guess that's really why I'm writing this letter. I just wanted to say thanks to you and all the great people who helped guide my heart during my high school years. I don't think you'll even remember me from back then. I was quiet and more of a follower. But maybe it's better that way. Maybe you can see this note as a thank you from more than just one graduate. Because I know I'm not the only one who's been feeling this way recently. Thanks for keeping us safe and pointing us in the right direction those, during those important years. Um, great letter, isn't it? Um, but it seems to me it's like what this kid was saying, you know, and this is... 10-year-old letter at this point, but what he was saying as, as a sophomore in high school was like just the power of community, the power of being around people who think in certain ways. Um, he was around, he said, he said I, I had a bunch of my friends who sat with me that night, but 
None of them could speak about faith. None of them is like, I, I had to get to, I needed to be in a, get to a church. And I just think, you know, and this was a kid presumably who, who kind of was dialed in to his faith when he was in high school. Now let's go back to this question, like the kid who's going to grow up in, a, in an essentially faithless uh, home. It's like, this kid isn't even going to know, that kid isn't even going to even know where to go in moments like this, this kid just described. Um, hey, that's the church. That kid's description. Yeah, it was a high school where, where all that happened, but he was talking about the, the faith dimension of this high school community. That's the church. You know, that's a parish. That's a men's prayer group. That's the nine o'clock morning mass. That's, you know, the youth group in the parish. You know, you talked about what, we, what we're trying to do with our uh, confirmation program, um, making the Eucharist part of it. Class is important. Mass is more. Um, they're both important. But if we get these kids to church and give them a, a great experience of the mass, I think the rest will follow. Um, so, grandma and grandpa, the, you know, the ones who wrote that letter or, or asked that question, yeah, I, I, you know, I, running out and getting the baby baptized on the sneak, well, that, you can't do that. And if you're not really going to be able to be a, a, an ongoing presence, uh, faith presence in the life of your grandchild, I don't know if you really were at a point where we could make promises for that baptism. If there's some room, you know, if your kids are open to it uh, and allowing you to have a, a voice and a role, yeah, let's do it. I would say let's do it. Um, but but maybe even before that, you got to have a heart-to-heart, -heart, you know, a couple of heart-to-hearts with, with, with your kids about what this is about and, and why this matters. Um, and then go back and do it again and, and, and again and see, see maybe where it goes. I mean, a common, a common trend of a lot of our discussions is is fear. <laughs> I think we talk about fear almost every podcast that we have. That's that's a scary thing, right? That's a scary thing to do because most likely, or maybe not most likely, but a lot of times that conversation is going to lead into a, a heated debate or you might get shut out or you might get into a, a gigantic fight with your child from there. <laughs> right. But I think from what you were talking about before, the way you present it, it, it's, it's, it's bigger than a fight. It's bigger than your kid not talking to you for the next week. Hey, it's that letter. It's like ask yourself, okay, I can, I can get in a bit of a, I can get in a brawl with my, uh, my, my, my twenty-eight year old son, uh, and it can get tense. Uh, so because of a, I'm afraid of that, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, and my grandson will be made, will be raised. When my grandson is a sophomore on a college campus uh, 20 years from now, he will not know where to go in a, in, a, in a tough time. And you know what? It may be way before he's, he's 20 years old. It may be when he's, when he's 10 years old. If, if, if I, weigh it. You know, if you're going to, grandma, grandpa, if you're saying, yeah, I'm just not up for the fight, then, then, then be okay with your, your, your grandson or granddaughter not being as, as equipped for life as they could be. I mean, in other words, have a fight, you know, uh, be willing. And, and if, you, and if we, we pray about this, we talk about it, we prep for it, then maybe, maybe it won't 
it won't be as tough. Maybe maybe it will be it will be heard um, a little more now than it was five years ago and or ten years ago when you would yell at them because they weren't wanting to go to church. But I come on, I just think are there are there not just things in life that you got to go to the mat over and about and for? Um, how could this not be one of them? Absolutely, one hundred percent. That great answer. Uh, before we go, I just want to touch on this really quickly since we are on the uh, the topic of baptisms. Uh, you mentioned it before. You you ask the parents, "Are you ready for this? Uh, are you ready to raise your kid as a Catholic?" And then you ask the godparents. So before we go, I I want to touch on godparents really quickly. Um, Andrew Santos, he he used to be down here uh, helping out with the kids. He made a great analogy to the kids in regards to picking their sponsors, and and it was this: is if you wanted to learn how to play guitar, and your older brother or sister don't know how to play guitar, would you ask them, "Hey, can you teach me how to play guitar?" Uh, right. And the answer is obviously no. And right. and hit to to his point, it was, hey, so that's why, don't just automatically go to your older sibling to to pick them for your sponsor. Go, go to somebody who you feel will help guide you um, in your journey to grow as a Catholic. And that will that will be a practicing Catholic. So qu- really quickly, let's talk about godparents. What do you think the parameters for picking godparents would be in your eyes, Father? Well, you know, I think, I, I think we got to be thoughtful. Like, th- think about this. You know, there's a couple of, you have the role of godparent, you have the role of uh, confirmation sponsor, which is... Kind of similar, um, uh, when, it, when a confirmation candidate is about to be confirmed, they ask a person in their life who is uh, kind of been, and hopefully would continue to be a, a good influence, you know, faith influence. Well, that's, that's, what, it, that's what godparents are supposed to, supposed to be. Um, it's not, you know, it's not an honor. People have it all inverted. Like, it's not like an honor you're bestowing on your best buddy. You know, that, that's your best man. At your wedding, like your best man doesn't make promises to to be a positive influence on anybody. He doesn't make a promise to uh, to to help you in the raising of your your daughter's faith life. He's your he's your your best friend. He's your whatever the relationship is. And people kind of they, they kind of blend these two together. Like, well, I just I've got to ask this person to do it. Um, you know, my nephew, my nephew just asked. My nephew was, made his confirmation about a, about a month ago, and he asked my mother, uh, my mom, his grandmother, to be the sponsor. I mean, she's a, she's a great example of, of of a person who's lived out gospel and, and faith. He's witnessed it. Um, he could have picked somebody, you know, who's uh, you know just a friend or a, you know a blood relative that I felt like I kind of have to do this. But he he gave it thought. Hey, even like with confirmation with the. Uh, the saints' names, you know, the, the confirmation name that you, uh, that you pick. Think that one through. Like, why do you? Why do you? Why am I going to pick this particular this particular saint? You know, I knew a kid who not too long ago picked uh, John Paul. I mean, clearly, he was inspired by the life of John Paul. He said, "Yeah, I, I, that's the one I'm going to go with. I'm not going to just pick the name uh, my my dad's name to honor him. Like, there's other ways of honoring people we love. This isn't the place to do it." Um, you know, let's be honest. Do godparents have a you know, a day to day role in you know in the in the faith experience of 
of God trolls, you know, usually not, most of the time not. Um, it's, I guess, sort of more of an idealistic uh, principle. But like, let's let's not make a joke of it. Like, let's, I mean, I, literally, I'll, I'll have people sometimes call and ask if their non-Christian best friend can be a godparent. I mean, you, you almost, you, you want to start laughing and then you realize, well, they don't, they just don't get it. Like, well, he's, he's my best friend. Great. Well, he will be a big influence in your son's life. He'll be, he'll be an uncle. Well, you'll call him Uncle, uncle Johnny, even though he's not even blood, because he's going to be that close to you. But he's not going to be the one who's going to direct you uh, toward Christ. He's not going to, he's just not equipped. It's the, it's Andrew's thing about the guitar lessons. Like, have people who have the goods, have people who, um, you know, are, are, are living it out. And again, not, you know, I'm not saying we got to, you got to pick literally saints in your life to do this. You know, we're, we're all on this journey. None of us has got it all perfect and, and, and done, but pick somebody that, that's going to make, where this is going to make sense. Um, yeah, that's where I'd go with it. Well, Father, I'm happy that we're back into it, happy that we're answering some more listener questions. And uh, Me too. as always, thanks again for uh, joining us tonight. Absolutely. We'll have to get back at this uh, sooner than later. For sure. Um, and don't forget, you can listen to Father's Gospels and homilies and past episodes. Uh, if you do have a question, uh, please send it into beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com. As always, you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. Uh, we will be uploading Father Greg's homily from this past Sunday, so definitely take a listen to that. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And obviously, feel free to share with your loved ones, especially if you think that this might hit home to them. We will definitely be back next week. Until then, God bless. Have a good night, Father. You too. See you around.